0: I'm going to have quite a lot of questions again this evening. I consider myself to be in touch with my emotions. When I did the sweeping part-by-part meditation, I had some physical sensations, tightness, pain, pulsing, but no emotional ones, except I kept dozing off for a moment here and there. Trying this meditation for a second time, The same thing happened. My ear became a rose, and I became involved with the rose until I woke myself up and left the rose. Is there hope? (laughs) I feel very tired, but not unhappy. Hmm. It's not necessary to have the, um, uh, the arising of emotions when we do the sweeping. It's, um, it's possible, it's um, helpful because one gets to know oneself better one realizes that all isn't maybe quite as rosy as it seemed to be, but even the physical sensation is an indication that there is something we can become aware of, and the emotion is connected to the physical sensation, but we don't have to find out which one it is. So the physical sensation makes a connection and as we let go of the physical sensation we are at the same time letting go of the emotion which has a connection to it. So even if this person considers him or herself to be in touch with their their emotions Even if they don't arise in the sweeping, that doesn't matter. The physical sensations are sufficient. Um, When the ear becomes a rose, I would say that's more of a fantasy than uh, a feeling. And we're only concerned with feelings when we do the sweeping. It's very difficult to um, feel a rose unless you touch it. certainly there's hope, there's always hope. <laughs> <laughs> now, feeling very tired, but not unhappy. Well, a tiredness doesn't necessarily make one feel unhappy, but tiredness is due to the fact that we're trying to do something entirely different here from what one does in everyday life. And uh, so the mind is being urged to work on a different level, and if it doesn't easily comply, that's tiring. There's no doubt about it. It's only when concentration comes that we gain new energy from the meditation. Every time we're not concentrated but are working at it, we are expanding and extending our energy in a different way. And so, that is tiring. It's particularly tiring if the mind is chattering a lot. We can easily understand that when we remember that in our daily jobs, maybe we don't do physically anything more exhausting than pushing our ballpoint around. And yet, we're going to be very tired in the evening. And we are very tired in the evening because of thinking, reacting, and emoting. It's um, a tiring business to think. So when we think in meditation, then it is very tiring. And um, we should also be aware of the fact that this, to get established in meditation, is actually hard work. For the mind. Once we are established in it, it's a different story altogether. So it's not surprising to be tired. <laughs> to attain calm and insight, should one strive towards having no thoughts and not even wholesome thoughts? We don't attain calm and insight together. It's either or. So when we want to have calm, no thoughts, wholesome, unwholesome or otherwise, nothing. Calm means not thinking. It means experiencing different levels of consciousness. Our thinking process, the one we know so well, Once we have explained something else, we will realize it's just plain Dukkha. That's all thinking is. Very necessary to make a livelihood, but that can also be plain Dukkha, can't it? When we want to attain insight, it has nothing to do with wholesome thoughts attaining insight means in the terminology that we use for the word insight that we have a recognition of anicca dukkha anatta impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and substancelessness either one of the three or All three, doesn't matter, or two of them. That's insight. On the way to gain insight, we get to know ourselves better by experiencing ourselves, not by thinking, by contemplating, by recognizing, but not through thinking. Calm is one thing, insight is another. Please recognize the difference. They are both helping each other, but our pathway on either level is different. One is the experience of elevated states of consciousness, and the other one is a recognition of the three characteristics which I've just named. Calm is the means, insight is the goal. If we want to attain deep insight we have to attain at least some calm. When the ocean It's throwing up lots of waves, we cannot look into its depths. It's got to become calm first, before we can see what's at the bottom. Is it a natural consequence of development in meditation that a person will begin to act wholesomely with compassion or metta, for example, Without having wholesome thoughts, are they necessary, in other words? One can't act what one hasn't thought of first. There's no way. We can't say or do anything that we haven't thought of first. The basic ingredient that we need for anything at all is a thought. Without it, nothing happens. No rocket would ever have gone to the moon without the thought to build it and what to do with it. It's not possible. That should be utterly clear. Without that, we have no practice. We can't practice without knowing that the thought is at the bottom of everything. Because why would we want to purify our content of our thoughts? Why should we? If we could act wholesomely without thinking wholesomely. Would body scanning be good for people who are terminally ill or would the toxicity of their body make them nauseous with every scan? I'm sure it would be helpful for people who are terminally ill but it would be very difficult to teach them if they haven't done it before. They have other concerns at that time. If one could teach them, I'm sure it could be helpful. But usually people will have had, would have had to have meditative experience beforehand if they want to do do it when they are terminally ill. That's why it's a good thing to do it now. Are some or all of the jhanic states necessary steps on the path to Nibbāna No, they're not First of all, the Buddha said that one can have a path moment, which means an experience of Nibbāna after any of the jhanas, even the first one although from experience that's pretty difficult and it is also stated in the scriptures that there are those that can gain insight first and reach Nibbana and have the concentration which brings the Jhanic states through that as a result of that. So, no, they are not necessary, but they are a big help. And they are the way the Buddha did it. I try my best to love my brother and sister but find them difficult to love. I do my best to behave in a loving way towards them even when I do not feel loving. Is this hypocritical or will behaving in a loving way help me to love them with feeling in time? Uh, No, it's not hypocritical. It's only hypocritical when we... Don't know it that we are only behaving lovingly and actually not feel it. And pretend and assure ourselves and others that we do love these people. That's hypocritical. But when we know very well that we're practicing and trying very hard and trying it through behavior, even though the feeling isn't there, then that's the practice part and it's a good thing to do. We will back on that again. Some Buddhist teachers in the West have had affairs with students and, and or drink alcohol. Their students condone this behavior and say it does not invalidate their teachings. How do you explain this behavior, which seems to me to be the opposite of the Buddhist teaching? Well, first of all, it does not invalidate the teaching. It only... the teaching is only invalidated if it's taught wrong. Certainly, these people are not an example to emulate, but it's very easily explained. we are born with six roots. Greed, hate and delusion being three of them. And if they take over, that's what happens. Human nature, not transcended. All we have to do is look out at our own human nature. And as soon as we have compassion for ourselves, we'll have compassion for everyone else. It's difficult to be a human being, it's even more difficult to be a good human being. The teaching is only invalidated when. The Buddha's teaching is distorted, which also happens, of course. Some women teachers of Buddhism say that the monastic system is too male-dominated and patriarchal. Have you found it difficult to be a woman teaching Buddhism? And if so, how have you dealt with this problem? Well, I think the last bit of the question is how I've dealt with the problem is obvious from what I'm doing eh? I mean there's no question how I've dealt with it and uh, the other answer is it's never been my problem it may have been a problem for other people but it's never been mine I don't have to take on a problem which other people have I never I think it's a problem to be a woman I think it's very nice so, um, monastic system, male dominated yes, of course because the uh, in Asia a patriarchy is still hardly touched women's lib is unknown in Asia or, not unknown, but very little known Very little being done about it. And so the monastic system is geared and um, organized according to the society that it lives in. So it's patriarchal. But we don't have to import that. There's no need to import anything to the West that does not uh, have any bearing on our society. We have a different society, we have uh, different ways of dealing with things, so we don't have to import that. And um, certainly there are difficulties, but uh, I just had a conversation today and uh, it's not only in the East that it's difficult for women to have equality. It's just as much in the West, in certain areas, and uh, it's not only in the monastic system. For instance, we were talking about academia today, and it's the same problem. So what does one do? One just gets on with one's own work. That's all there's to be done, and the result is obvious. I was taught the body scan technique for meditating. Do you think this practice is useful? Yes, I do. As I have become older and meditated I have less patience for small talk and even when people talk passionately about news events I have become critical and I've become more separated from Some friends and acquaintances. My judgmental self is in conflict with loving everyone. It is difficult since a lot of my tastes have changed. Is the end of it. Yes. Um, well, if one knows that one is judgmental, then one can do something about it. It's certainly not pleasant to be judgmental. We have no uh, call to be judge and jury. We have no qualifications for it. And um, so we might as well try to um, substitute that with something more productive, like compassion. Talking passionately about news events is certainly not very interesting but if that makes another person happy and they cannot be deterred from that well, one just has to wish them well (laughs) however, if one is present and one has some skill one may be able to change the topic and put the conversation into another direction. That can be very useful. If one feels oneself becoming very negative rather than compassionate, one should leave. One should not stick around because anything that makes the mind negative is detrimental to one's own well-being because the mind being never negative becomes more and more habitually negative, as it is even said here. So one should not allow that to happen. Either change the topic or not be part of it. Being judgmental, one should work on that and try to substitute. During meditation, my wife sees blue and white lights and looks forward to the celestial show she sees. I get the feeling, because this is the second time about the wife, that there's some competition going. (laughs) It's a bit of competition, huh? I have never visualized anything in meditation. What do you think of this? Well, I'm n- not everybody is visually inclined, and if somebody sees blue and white lights, they should definitely make up their minds whether blue or white. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: blue and white doesn't work one of the meditation methods that the Buddha taught are the kasinas, and the kasinas are color discs and some people who are very visually inclined get that spontaneously and either blue is fine or white is fine or red is fine or green is fine white it's good gold is alright but one color only and um, If it arises spontaneously, it's very good to use it. And if it is a disc, which means round, and uh, not wavering, one can use it. Use it as a meditation subject. One needs to enlarge it, make it bigger and bigger, until it's large enough so that it totally encompasses one. And then sitting in it and being with it, after a very short time, it's an entry into the first jhana. It's specifically taught for that purpose. It has absolutely no other purpose than entry into first jhana. Casina, color disk, but not two colors, one. Hmm. Please give some examples of how to substitute the unwholesome thoughts with the wholesome ones. Well, somebody uh, mentioned the other day that there was somebody there that they thought was a jerk and then they changed the mind because they realized that wasn't wholesome and also realized that that person also had Dukkha and they could arouse some compassion and that's substitution. They think somebody is unpleasant, somebody doesn't know what they're doing somebody is uh, silly or whatever um, negative thought we have, we can immediately remember that person has as much Dukkha as everybody else. So, compassion. Change that thought to a compassionate one. A previous teacher taught that whether an objective reality existed or not, we could never know it. We could only have concepts of reality, that would always remain incomplete. We should treat all thoughts, theories and experiences as mere stories to learn from. Yet, I've heard you repeat the phrase, things as they really are. Can we know or experience things as they really are? It's one of the inside steps in Pali Jatabhutanyana Dasana the words of the Buddha the vision and knowledge of things as they really are no concept but cutting through all the conceptual way of thinking of being apart from it just watching it but becoming it and then one can see things as they really are. Yes, one can. The uh, thought which is expressed here would negate the possibility of liberation and freedom. If we can't do it, what's the use of trying? Sure, we can do it. In the Mahayana Buddhist tradition, it is taught that enlightenment is possible instantaneously. What do you think of this idea? I think it's splendid. (laughs) As a housewife, I often tend to put my husband's and children's needs and wishes ahead of my own. The result is that my meditation and spiritual practice are often neglected. As a housewife, how did you deal with this problem? Well, it's not a problem, because putting other people's wishes and needs first is spiritual, spiritual practice. Wherever we are, whatever we do, we can practice anywhere. If we remember that loving-kindness and compassion are the qualities of the heart which we want to cultivate, if we remember that unwholesome thoughts need to be substituted with wholesome ones, if we are mindful and give ourselves completely to the task on hand, we are practicing. Okay, then the time for the meditation. The only way to deal with that is to get up earlier than the kids. There's no other way to deal with that. They make too much noise usually. Or wait till they're gone in school. If they're school children and they go away to school, a blessed silence descends on the house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like to read very much and read a lot about Buddhism. Can this be an addictive or bad habit? Does it assist or impede learning to meditate? What would the middle way be? Is it advisable to read and write notes or journal while on a retreat like this one? Well, certainly um, not a bad habit to read about Buddhism. There are some dangers involved which um, some people fall into that trap, they read about it, they're intelligent so they understand what they're reading and then they think they've done it and that's all there is, and they put the book in the library and they know it and they've done it. Now, this is a very, um, un- very dangerous trap, especially for highly intellectual people. If we read books about Buddhism well about Buddhism maybe it'd be better to say if we read Dhamma books a book which explains the Dhamma it should not be read in the way we read novels from cover to cover and now I've done it and I stick it away or give it to somebody to read What we need to do with a book which contains Dhamma teaching is to read either a page or a chapter at the very most and then write down in telegram style the essence of what we've read and if we can't remember, we'll have to read it again and then having written down the essence in telegram style we learn that by heart shouldn't be difficult, should be no more than three or four lines And then we practice that. And then having practiced it and having gained some proficiency at that, then we go to the next chapter. That's the way of the path. Everything else is entertainment. So it can be very uh, much assisting in um, learning and the Buddha recommended it. He recommended that we know more about the Dhamma in order to combat our hindrances, our obstructions it was a recommendation that he gave more than once In a retreat such as this, it's uh, not advisable to start reading books but what can be very helpful is that if any insights arise, to write them down. And also what can be helpful is to write down a sort of little diary or something why one has come to this retreat. What one actually wants to do and accomplish and look at that very carefully and also it's very important to write down what do I want to do with the rest of my life which starts now what's really important and writing that down helps to make it clearer and then one can look at it again after a few days and see whether one wants to change it. And one does usually. The first idea does not usually happen to be the last one. But it's a very helpful way to gain insight into one's motivations and also into one's intentions. So our motivation, what motivates me to be here, my intention, what am I going to do with my life? These things are helpful, and writing down insights that have come up. They are also, that can also be extremely helpful. <laughs> it says, what is Samadhi? But it's called Samadhi. So must have been not very well spoken. Samadhi means, Samadhi means right concentration. It's a Pali word for concentration. But it has a connotation, of course. It doesn't mean just being on the breath for a moment or two. Samadhi right concentration, are the meditative absorptions. And it's the eighth step on the Noble Eightfold Path. And we'll, I'll explain it and detail it tomorrow. Why does the breath sometimes seem horizontal and then vertical? Follow it whichever way it goes. Well, I have to admit I've never had my breath horizontal or vertical. So I really have no personal experience of that. But certainly, um, whichever way, be attentive to it. But I'd also like to repeat now. It's very important, so I'll repeat it as many times as necessary. We don't follow the breath, we don't observe the breath, we experience the breath. Can you tell the difference with just these words? To experience the breath means that you're not apart from it, you're in it. Only then do we start meditating. As long as we're standing outside of it, it's like looking at a sideshow. We're not it. We're looking at it. But the experience of it makes it possible to have not only concentration, but also insight. And I'll repeat that one too. We can experience the breath. But can you experience the one who breathes? Try. These are not just words. Unless you open your heart, the words are going to be outside of you. There is something else behind those words not only meaning, the meaning is clear, it couldn't be clearer, but there's depth of experience which can be had if you do it. Would you comment on spiritual and meditative practice for those of us who are predisposed to depression and then comes a word I have never seen, or dystemic thought. What's dystemic thought? I've never seen the word. What's it mean? Huh? Hopelessness. hopelessness. Oh, well, why not say hopelessness? Make it easy for me. <laughs> Acknowledging the fact that there may be biological factors. Which taint perceptions. Is this p- depression a product of conditioning through wrong view? Depression, conditioning wrong view. I'm told, karmically, anger is behind this predicament. Is there any, oh no, is there a way through the inertia? of depressive illness is there a way through the mission? depressive illness. What steps might be taken to find peace and develop enthusiasm? Well, depression is a result of self pity and of not taking responsibility for what is happening to one, but looking for outside causes. As long as we're looking for outside causes, we can always find someone or something. And as long as we find someone or something that is doing the wrong things to us, then we can have self-pity. When we have enough self-pity, we have depression. Karma means cause and effect. As you sow, you will reap. If you sow tomato seeds in the garden, you're not going to get carrots, no matter how hard you try. Whatever we sow, that is what we reap. And whether we've sown it yesterday, last week, last year, last life, it makes no difference. Most of the stuff that we're reaping in this life has been sown in this life. Because it's usually small matters just like small plants mature very quickly we put carrot seeds in the garden we have carrots very quickly if you plant a seed for an oak tree it takes a long time more than a lifetime those are the big things that we do But they are few and far between. Life consists of small and everyday matters from morning to night. And there we make karma with every single thought. Unless we become aware of that, that we make karma with every single thought, we are never going to be careful about our thinking. We need to become careful, watch out. When we think in the wrong way, and this is, um, we can say wrong view, which is mentioned here. If we think like that, that it's others that are doing it to us, we have a victim mentality naturally victims become depressed because there are so many things that we can be victims of but when we realize it's us ourselves and we take full responsibility even though we might not remember the cause then we are nobody's victim we have the power of change when we have the power of change there is no need to be depressed enthusiasm Some people find that difficult. Those that find that most difficult are very much beset with the third hindrance, floss and torpor of the mind. Or you can call it laziness and drowsiness. With a lazy mind, it's very difficult to be enthusiastic. It doesn't say and doesn't mean that an alert mind is always enthusiastic But if there's no self-pity, and there's no sloth and torpor, enthusiasm is a natural resultant. I can't answer about depressive illness, because that goes one step too far. goes one step further than what my competence is. It's hard for me to accept that people in Vietnam or Tibet, for example, have suffered, and it's just their karma. Not just. What's just about it? If you want to remember the history of mankind, Just give it a second of a thought. How many people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, have done bad deeds? All you have to do is read the history books, or maybe remember your school days. And those bad deeds that these people did, they are causes which have effects. Nobody knows who they were and who they are now. It doesn't matter. All we can do are two things. Make good karma ourselves and help others as much as we can. Those are the two things we can do. The rest is conjecture. Also, please explain why there is no self. <laughs> or I, who has the memories of childhood? Who is trying not to be greedy? And who has the illusion of a history, a biography? Now I'll read the bottom part too. Thank you for your wonderful teachings, unless, of course, there is no you. <laughs> <laughs> the most um, difficult aspect of the teaching and it is the goal of the practice so actually what this amounts to is that we would like to see the top of the mountain before we have climbed it I would like to suggest that we do our climbing and uh, do it diligently and mindfully And as we do that, eventually, we'll get the proper view from the top of that mountain. The question is wrongly put. There's no answer to that question, because there's no why. Why there is no self. There's no why to that. The question could be put another way. Why do I think that I have a self? And then we have a practice pass. Find out. Why do you think so? What makes you think over and over and over again that there is somebody sitting in there? Have you seen that person? Have you talked to that person that's sitting in there? Why do you think there is a self? That's a proper question, but not why there's no self. That can't be answered. So I still suggest climbing the mountain, and we'll see the view eventually. Are all meditation students capable of experiencing the jhanas? Yes. Why do some Vipassana teachers stress momentary concentration and the opening up of mindfulness towards whatever draws the attention away from or including or or including the breath it seems that there is a belief on the part of some that there are two roots one called dry inside without Yes, it's quite true. (coughs) There are, in the scriptures, two roots. Um, And one is called dry insight. And it is dry. (laughs) The juice is missing. Um, It's a very difficult path. But if one has had, from previous life experiences, the karmic resultants that make that path possible, there's no reason why one should not accomplish it. The Buddha himself did not go that way. He went with the jhanas to the enlightenment experience, through insight. But dry insight is mentioned and The word dry has been debated, whether it's been translated properly. And uh, it probably isn't. It probably doesn't mean just that, what we call dry. So, um, but nobody's come up with a better word yet. And those that can go that pathway which, as I said, is very difficult, and uh, very cumbersome and tedious, but quite open to those people who have had past life experience, so that they can go that way easily. These people do gain concentration through their insight. Because inside also brings about some calm. So, in the end, it all amounts to the same thing. And through the meditative absorptions, not only is the path facilitated, one's well being, mental well being, is assured. And one could certainly say, it's a worthwhile endeavor. Since you are not teaching in the US very often, can you suggest a teacher or teachers with whom we could sit in the US? No, I can't. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody personally. All I know is um, books and uh, pamphlets and newsletters. So I, I don't know anybody personally. Another one? Yeah. Well, there's another question on the same subject. I'm just here for the week and I'm wondering about other opportunities to sit with you. Also, what other Dharma teachers in the West do you recommend as good teachers and embodiments of this practice? Well, I'm going to say in connection to this, I'm going to give a meditation course in English at Buddha House in Germany next year from June 30th to July 9th, and after that there's an opportunity to have a week self-retreat, where one doesn't have to speak German, of course, because it's silence. So, um, (laughs) and I've put a sheet of paper on the table back there, uh, saying that anyone who's interested to receive the flyer for that course in Germany, put their name and address on. And please may I ask you, do not abbreviate the town you live in. We don't know what it is. We don't know that SC is Santa Cruz and MV is Mill Valley. I found out meanwhile, obviously, <laughs> through asking questions. But please put the whole address, every bit of it, so that we can send you the flyer and uh, for next year's course and uh, uh, then you can decide whether you'd like to come so that's the next opportunity to sit with me I can't recommend or do anything about other teachers I don't think the Buddha ever recommended other teachers He did say about uh, other teachers uh, uh, without uh, any uh, hesitation when they were teaching wrongly. He did say that. He had no hesitation telling people that. And he also um, directed some of the people that were asking him a lot of questions to his disciples. And uh, I shall be doing that too. Uh, at the end of the course it was quite uh, quite interesting to read that very often the Buddha gave a very short discourse only very succinct and then people didn't really understand what he was saying and so they went to Sariputta and Sariputta was his right hand disciple and uh was very good at uh, explaining and analysis and then they asked him to please explain what the Buddha meant so then Sariputta went into a a long explanation went to a lot of trouble explaining the whole thing and then it says in the scriptures and the people went back to the Buddha and asked him whether Sariputta had done it right but the Buddha always um, always um, supported what Saiputta said. I understand there's a big difference between concentration and mindfulness. It's focus on the breath at the nostrils and noting thoughts as they arise and returning to the breath concentration. Where does inquiry into sensations fit in if at all well, all these words must be really confusing. Um, staying on the breath leads towards concentration. It's called Anapanasati. Sati means mindfulness, and anapana means in-breath, out-breath. So the method is mindfulness of in-breath-out-breath, but that's just a method, nothing else. And it is the mindfulness which will lead to concentration. And we have other methods, I've mentioned one this evening, kasinas. We have other methods, namely, being aware of the sensations which is the second foundation of mindfulness, Vedana Nupasana, mindfulness of feeling. So mindfulness is a method, is a way which leads to concentration. So focusing on the breath and staying there leads to concentration or is concentration. Labeling the thought brings insight. Calm and insight. Two ways. Two directions. Many different methods. None better or worse. Some useful for some people, some useful for others. But only two directions. And calm is the means and insight is the goal. And since most people, if not all, can't become calm just by wishing to be, we use both ways, calm and insight. Labeling is for insight. Staying on the breath is for calm. That's got to be clear by the end of this course. We can't go home without having that clear. Inquiry into sensations is. I presume that the sweeping is meant. It's not an inquiry, it's an experience. When we're only using our mind, the head, Then we're inquiring. But when we're experiencing, we're using all of us, ourselves. Which is the understanding and the feeling. Wisdom comes from the understood experience. There's no other way to gain wisdom. So we have to first experience and then understand it. Inquiry can be a contemplation but wisdom comes only from that contemplation if we have the actual experience of how we feel about the subject and then understand that feeling. Not being an outside observer, being an inner participant It makes all the difference, in fact, it is the difference between sitting and trying, and sitting and doing. In trying to substitute unwholesome thoughts with wholesome ones, I'm finding that I have great difficulties to substitute the unwholesome emotions that almost always accompany my thoughts the thoughts they have so much more grip and intensity to them do you have any suggestions how to work with that? the emotion can be first and the second, the thought second or it's the other way around the thought first and the emotion second they're always connected so if one finds it very difficult to substitute an unwholesome emotion for an unwholesome one. The best way is to find the Dukkha in oneself. Having found the Dukkha in oneself, not blaming any outside source. That's much too easy. There are so many outside sources and we can always find one which is particularly guilty but just recognizing the dukkha in oneself and then arousing compassion for oneself for that person who is having dukkha and then having aroused the compassion that compassion will be available again and again in order to be substituted for unwholesome emotions. If we're angry at somebody, which is the usual thing, isn't it? Everybody knows what anger feels like. It's very unpleasant. Buddha compared it to a bilious disease. The one who's sick is the one who's angry, not the one we're angry at. So, um, if we're angry at somebody, we can inquire, first of all, what we're angry at. Are we angry at the body of that person, the hair, the skin, the nails, the teeth? Are we angry at the thoughts of the person? Are we angry at the words of the person? Most likely. That's usually what we're angry at. So why do we have to get angry at the words of that person? For one reason only, because they're not the way we want them to be. Well. Is there any reason why they should be the way we want them to be? If they weren't pleasant words, can we not assume that the person is unhappy? Because a happy person will never say any unpleasant words. So if that person is unhappy, what's the right reaction to that person? There's only one, and that's compassion. But we have had to have the experience of having compassion for ourselves. Otherwise, it's uphill work, very difficult. I've been hearing a constant buzzing in my ears since we began this retreat. Is this something unusual? Should I have my ears, head examined? Do you hear it? <laughs> Most certainly not. <laughs> I'm new at this. Does it go away with time? Is it the sound of a quieter mind? Well, sometimes it is said, the noise of silence, there is never complete silence, there's always some noise going on, and if we become focused on that, we can hear it, there's always some movement even going on, and movement creates irritation, and irritation also creates some noise. So if it isn't something which is so overpowering that one can't get away from it, the thing to do is to pay no attention to it, none whatsoever, to pay attention to the meditation subject. If this is a new experience, then the silence is also a new experience. And within that silence there may be discomfort because one isn't used to it. So one tries to grasp at anything one can hear. But it may just be an outside occurrence which one hears, or it can be, for instance, the movement of one's blood that one hears. That too makes a noise. pay no attention. Let's go to the meditation subject and every time one is distracted back to the meditation subject no I don't hear it Hmm. how can I make the switch from observing my breath to experiencing it I can now quiet my mind neighborhood something noise but can't seem to, or know how to, let go of the observer We don't fully let go of the observer The only time we fully let go of the observer is in the past moment or when we've already had a a past moment, the experience of a momentary experience of nibbana, where there is no observer then we can, at will, bring that up again, momentarily. But in meditation, there's always at least a residue of an observer. But the more we can remove that observer, the easier it is to become concentrated. So the switch from observing the breath to experiencing the breath is nothing else except having the mind fall into the breath. Having the two in exactly the same place. Not looking at it. Not just knowing it. But being the breath. There is breath But we can never find any one that's breathing. We can only find the breath as such and the movement that is connected to it. So we can fall into that movement and be the movement. It is a switch. The word switch is right. It feels as if one first is standing over here, looking at the breath, and then one moves into the breath. And that's about the best way I can describe it. The word feeling is somewhat ambiguous. Wouldn't it be clearer? to use sensation and emotion. And cannot feeling also mean a mental state, such as depression. Are there other kinds of feeling? I mentioned earlier today that feeling has two aspects, sensation and emotion. That I often use the word feeling. But when we were going through the um, sweeping, I distinguished between sensation and emotion. Actually, there are only three kinds of feeling pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And everything else is a reaction to them. But we use the word in our everyday language, and it's meaningful to us. But it certainly encompasses both, compasses sensation and emotion. In the Buddhist terminology there is only one word which encompasses the whole gamut of our experience. The word is citta and it encompasses our mental formations, our mental reactions and our feelings. But for us it is much easier if we delineate the one from the other so depression is most mostly an emotion caused by the wrong way of thinking and an emotion which is quite a strong emotion I have appreciated that the two men in robes, I presume that they are monks, (laughs) are eating with us. This is not my experience at other retreats. Could you comment on this integration? Is it you doing? (laughs) Is this a way of integrating Buddhist practice into the West? Well, yes, I suppose so. (laughs) Um... There are different ways of dealing with the monastic situation which is usually due to the country that the people come from and the social aspect prevailing in that country. It's got absolutely nothing to do with what the Buddha said. Nothing at all. The Buddha never said a monk should sit somewhere else. But in Thailand, that's the practice. So seeing that we are all Westerners and hoping that one day, surely not while I'm alive, but one day, there might be Buddhism in the West, which is Western Buddhism, not watered down, not as psychotherapy, but the real teaching of the Buddha, without the trappings of any of the countries where Buddhism has been practiced for so long, we might as well make a beginning now. One of the things which is so difficult, and people find so difficult, because They haven't got enough knowledge to distinguish between what the Buddha actually taught and what is a habit, a custom of the country that Buddhism is being practiced in. I usually say in that context, Buddhism has nothing to do with eating with chopsticks. Nothing at all. The Buddha has never seen a chopstick in his life. So, it's also got nothing to do with eating with uh, knife and fork. The Buddha never saw knife and fork in his life either. But in order to make the Buddha's teaching really available and integrated and uh, open for Westerners, It has to also adopt Western habits. And the Buddhist teaching has always been particularly capable of adopting any habits of any country. In Japan we have Japanese Buddhism. In Tibet we have Tibetan Buddhism. Everywhere Buddhism was able to adapt to the social situation of the country. Well, there's only one danger, that when it does that, that the depth of the teaching is also adapted. And that's a danger we have to guard against. No adaptation to the actual teaching, only to the daily practice of behavior. And then we have the best of two worlds. In order to start, please put the attention (coughs) on the breath for just a moment. Imagine that the sun is shining in your heart, warming it, lighting it up, creating well-being, making love and compassion grow. Feel the warmth of the sun in your heart, Fill yourself with it and surround yourself with it. Now let the sun from your heart shine on the person sitting next to you, filling him or her with the warmth from your heart, with the beauty, the clarity and the light, all coming from your heart as your gift to that person. And now let the sun from your heart shine on the hearts of your parents, filling them with warmth and love and care, so that their hearts also are light and shining. full of beauty. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you, those that you might live with, and let the sun from your heart shine on them, filling them with warmth and light and love as your gift to them, without expecting anything in return. Now think of all your good friends and let that shining sun from your heart warm their hearts. Let the rays of the sun in your heart carry your love and friendship to them. Having that feeling of togetherness, embracing them, and not expecting to receive anything back for that. think of the people you know neighbors, acquaintances relatives co-workers students, patients whoever comes to your mind let the sun from your heart shine on their hearts filling them with the warmth and the clarity and the beauty that comes from the sun in your heart. As a gift from you, as a token of your connectedness, as an expression of your love. now think of anyone towards whom you feel totally indifferent. No attraction and no repulsion. And let the sun from your heart shine on that person's heart, filling him or her with the warmth and the beauty that is generated from your heart. Now think of someone whom you find difficult someone you're angry at maybe someone you're blaming. The sun will shine on everyone. That's the sun from your heart with its warmth and beauty. With this shining rays, reach out to that person's heart and fill him or her with the warmth from your heart. and now expand and enlarge your heart as much as you can, so that the sun in it grows, becomes bigger and bigger and can shine on many people near and far. First, let the warmth from your heart through the rays of the sun in your heart reach out to everyone present here and then let this sun from your heart go further afield to the people around here the love and beauty in your heart reaches them as you let the sun from your heart shine on them. And then further afield to the towns and cities to the people that You may have seen, or just heard about, or just know about. The sun can shine on everyone. The warmth from your heart can reach everyone. Let it grow and expand so that it can cover all the towns and villages and cities around here, going further and further until it's big enough to shine with its love and beauty. and reach out to everyone in the whole land. And now put your attention back on yourself and feel the joy that comes from giving and loving and the warmth in your heart which grows and grows the more you give it away. Fill yourself with that warmth. Surround yourself with it feeling safe and secure in it, embedded in love. And now anchor the sun in your heart, so that it may become one with it, and will always be accessible. May people everywhere have the sun in their hearts.